if you're a parent, then you're probably going to understand a lot about what I'm, what I'm about to say. If you're a mom or a dad, you know that above all else, that the most important thing in your life is your kids. You go to work every day, and, to, and, and you, you're going to bring home money so that you can provide a house to your kids. You can provide gifts for your children on their birthdays. And, and before they go to bed, you check to see if there's any milk in there. You want it, but you leave it so the kids can have a bowl of cereal in the morning, right? You, you, there's so much that goes into our lives that is, is dictated by our relationship with our children. There's comfort in knowing that we're doing all that we can do to properly provide for our children. From, their, from diapers to graduation, as a parent, there is this one-track mind that shows that everything that we do focuses our attention on our children. There's a time when our selfishness for us takes second seat to what our children need, right? Every decision, it's led with that thought is, if it, what effect is this going to have on our kids? Are they going to, to benefit from this direction? Are, are they going to be upset? Are they going to be excited? Parenthood, it, it's this predictable time in our lives from zero to at least 18 when your attention is focused on one thing. And we know that. And, and it's a, a natural training that, that we have as parents. We need to know where our children are. We need to know who they're with. We need to know if they're safe. We need to know what they're learning, how much we need to teach them, how much as parents we need to interject into their lives, how much of the world that we need to, to keep away. And we have this sense of security that comes from knowing that our children are safe. It's second nature to a parent. Back on July 7th of 1996, Jim and Doris Davis were out at a, they were out at a local park after church on a Sunday, and, and they were out with their two twin daughters, five-year-old Jazzy and Jessica, and they, and they had a new foster son, and his name is Robert, and they were out celebrating the one-year anniversary of Robert being a foster child at their home. And so they're at the park after church, been a great day and Jim and Doris had, had dressed the kids up and, and they're just enjoying this time together and, and as parents they have this family that they've dreamed of. They've got their, their two daughters but they just brought a son in and the two daughters now have a brother and this brother has a family that he's never had before. See Jim, he worked at the roads department and he would, he would take on all of that extra overtime so that he could have that extra money so that he could buy gifts. And now he's got a new son that he could go out and he could play with and, and anything that he could do. And Doris is a stay-at-home mom, and she plans field trips for the kids now to take them out. And for their education, she does her part because that's where her care is right now. That's where her need is. That's where her security is. And while they're out at the park celebrating after church on a Sunday... Robert and Jazzy are playing over on the swings, but what they didn't realize as parents and as siblings is that someone was scheming. Jazzy and Robert were easy to find, but Jessica was gone. There was no sight of her. Immediately, fear sets in with this parent, the parents who are looking over from the bench, and they, and they yell at 
Jazzy, Robert, where's your sister at? And immediately, there's this sense of massive fear. And so the parents start to scream frantically and looking throughout the playground. And they go over to that big tractor tire that's halfway in the dirt. And they're looking up underneath it to see if she's hiding in there and she's not. And they go to the back of the makeshift woodshed that holds the baseball little league gear. And they're looking behind there if she is there and she's not. And they go running up and down the streets, just knocking on doors, knocking on doors saying, have you seen my daughter in her Sunday dress? And they open up wallets and show photos. This is what she looked like did you hear any dogs in the neighborhood barking anything we cannot find Jessica two weeks later Jim and Doris and five-year-old Jazzy one of the two twins and, and Robert are sitting at the kitchen table and Jazzy has lost her twin and Robert has lost his new sister and Jim and Doris, as parents, they're missing their joy. They, they're missing their direction. They have absolutely no clue what to do right now. Life is numb. A part of them is absolutely empty. The only thing that they can focus on right now is finding their meaning in life, finding their daughter. And it's a terrible story, and it's a story that no father or no mother wants to tell. We, don't, we even have a hard time listening to it. No one wants to be faced with the fact that they're losing the one person or one of the people in their life that engulfs their time, that, that demands all of their desires, that they give their heart to. But yet, that's what so many people do every day when they live without Jesus. There are so many people who, at one point in their life, they knew him, they have kind of known of him, but they decide to walk in a world with no joy and live without Christ. One of the greatest stories ever told, certainly not the one that I just mentioned to you. It's, it's a story that's the backbone of our Christian faith. It is this morning, this story we celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But just as the resurrection shown to us in the book of Matthew shows us exactly what happened when Mary and when Mary Magdalene go to the tomb, the story also gives us this wonderful illustration of what life is like without Jesus, but then what life is like once you find him. There's something in the meaning of the resurrection story that not only reminds us of what it took to be saved, but it also tells us that when we have no clue where Jesus is, our life is full of fear. But when we find Jesus, our life is full of worship, it's full of joy, and it's full of direction. Amen? Amen. This morning I'd ask you to open your Bibles to the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew as we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 10 in a message that I have titled, Finding Jesus. And as we read through our text this morning, I want you to, to pay attention to some of the emotions that we're going to see from Mary and from Mary Magdalene that Sunday morning. I want you to feel what the guards felt. I want you to feel what the disciples felt. I want you to ask yourself, have you found Jesus or are you still looking for him? You know how you can tell? 
What's right here? What's that feeling right here? What's that void right here? What's missing? That's Jesus. We're all here due to the hand of God that had got us all here to this park under this sign, under this, the shadow of the building this morning. But I want you to look and see what happens when Jesus presents himself in only the way that Jesus can present himself. We're going to be reading, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28, I'm in verse number 1. Verse 28 reads like this. It says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel of the Lord said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse number 6, it says, He is not here. This morning we're going to look at the story of the resurrection through the eyes of two women who came to the tomb that morning. They came to apply spices and they came to anoint a body that morning. Now I want to stop and make a distinction and make a point really quick before we go much further. One of these Marys is Mary Magdalene. The other Mary is not the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, but this is not Jesus' mom. So when you hear Mary and Mary, I just want to solve that little bit of confusion first, okay? The first verse, it tells us that it's very early on the Sabbath. It's very early on, or after the Sabbath, on Sunday morning. The Gospel of John tells us, in fact, that it's still dark out this morning. And it's important to note that when these women left their home on Sunday morning to go and anoint the body of Jesus, they had absolutely no doubt in their mind that they were going to go and find a corpse in a grave. That's what they set out to find. In their mindset, that morning they were going out to the grave to find a lifeless body. But see, they didn't know like Paul Harvey would say, they didn't know the rest of the story. They had, never, they had never read the final chapter of Matthew 28. They're living that final chapter right now. They had not read chapter 16 in Mark. They had not read chapter 21 in Luke. They had not read John 20. They had every intention of sympathetically anointing the body of Jesus with oils. See, because on Friday... When Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross, this torture mechanism, both of these women were there. And when Jesus hung from the cross while naked and struggling for breath, these women were there. A little later in the day before he died, he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he cries this from the cross, and these women are right there. And late Friday afternoon, when the body of Jesus was taken off of the cross and it was placed in a nearby tomb, and at that point, one of the men brings about 75 pounds of aloes and spices and anoints the body of Jesus on Friday, these women were there. But they didn't have an opportunity to do so, to come and anoint the body of their king because the Sabbath was coming, and you can't do that kind of work on a Sabbath. Their first opportunity was Sunday morning. 
And that's exactly what they went out to do. So on the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath, they left home without even thinking of a plan, without even thinking it all the way through. They were there when they saw this huge rock that was rolled in front of the tomb. They know when they leave their house. They've got their bags packed with aloes and spices, but they've got no way to move that rock. Didn't really matter to them right then. They'll solve that problem when they have that problem. Right now they need to get there, right? They had seen that stone be put into position, but nothing was going to stop them from finding Jesus, from from going and anointing his body. But on the way to the tomb, something happened. Read with me again. We're in verse number two now of Matthew 28. It says, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. So first we have an earthquake. Matthew refers to it as a violent earthquake. And see to these women, this would be the second earthquake that they felt the last few days because there was an earthquake on Friday when Christ died on the cross. There was an earthquake. It's not like our days, you feel a little shaking and you go to the net to see what, uh, you know, to, to, and then you see on Facebook, oh, it's 3.2, don't worry about it. Earthquake was kind of a big deal. And, and if Matthew's going to say it was a violent earthquake, that's a God-given force from the earth at a specific time for a specific reason, right? So today's Sunday morning, On Friday, there's an earthquake. Now there's another earthquake. And now there's an appearance of an angel. This is different. They weren't expecting this. Verse number two says, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. I want you to see what happens in verse number four. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. So, these guards, these are not Walmart parking lot rent-a-cop guards, okay? It's not who they are. These are military-trained men. Could have been some of the same men who were at the cross a few days ago. We're talking about guys who have armor, who have weapons, who are strong men. But the appearance of the angel makes them in, in the original Greek, the, the verb structure here, it's the same word for, that Matthew just used for earthquake. It's the word shake. In Greek, it's seismos. It's where we get our English word seismic. It's the same word that happened to the men. So an, in, uh, an earthquake in their bodies is shaking them and they fall like dead men. So these warriors are so violently shaken that they become dead men. They're out of the picture. They're on the ground. The angel starts talking to the women. We're in verse number five. The angel says this, do not be afraid for I know what you are looking for. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse six, he is not here. I want you to notice that everything in our story so far happens for one reason. The earthquake, the angel, the guards now on the ground, the fact that the, the angel has to tell the women, don't be afraid. Everything that has happened so far is for one reason. The angel says, hey, don't be scared. 
Now, there's a reason that the angel has to say that. It's because Jesus is gone, and none of the people here know where he is. He is not there. He is not in the tomb. Mary and Mary don't know. The guards don't know. At least when the women thought that he was dead, they knew he was in the tomb. It's not scary when you know where a dead body is, but it becomes scary when you don't know where a body that was supposed to be dead is, and the guards who are guarding that tomb are now on the floor, and there's an angel. That could be a little bit scary. Angel says, don't be afraid. I know in your notes this morning I filled in the blanks for you because I didn't know if we were going to have pens to fill in the blanks, but we do have some. Feel free to take your own notes. But point number one in your notes says this, when you don't know where Jesus is, your life is full of fear. When you don't know where Jesus is, your life is full of fear. It was March 8th of 2014 when a Boeing 7077 left Kuala Lumpur International Airport. And this jet was scheduled to land at Beijing Capital International Airport. And after losing contact with air traffic control about an hour after takeoff, Malaysia Airlines declared the flight missing. And a massive search started all over the area where they thought this plane may have been for the 227 passengers and 12 crew that were on board. And news started to spread around the world very quickly. This plane just vanished off of radar. We have no clue where it's at. And around the world, people started to speculate about what was happening. At one point, there was a thought that the pilots had taken the plane off course and maybe it hit it somewhere in the jungle. There was other people who thought that it was a terrorist attack that was about to happen. As a matter of fact, in, in Israel, an Israeli newspaper had this headline. It said, as the possibility grows that Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 may have been hijacked and taken to a hidden location, Israeli authorities are preparing for the possibility that the hijackers might attempt to use the Boeing 777 to mount an attack. From that day, the search went on. News came out that there was a little blip somewhere over the ocean. And so news agencies and searchers started to look at around this blip area. It's a vast amount of ocean that they start to look at. And then we get international teams that come to the western area of Australia and start looking about 100 miles off of the coast. And it seems like every day there's a new news cycle that shows us a new piece of debris that may or may not be from that plane. Where was Malaysia Airlines Flight 370? It vanished. See, nobody was scared two days ago when we knew where that plane was. When it was on the tarmac, no one was worried. But people are worried once you lose something that you had. You don't know where it is anymore. When it's gone... There's some people who have, who have never had anyone point them to Jesus. There's some people you know in your life that have never had anyone point them to Jesus. And if there's anyone here this morning, and maybe this is one of the first times that you've stepped into a church-style setting, and hearing this message in and you look at your heart and you say, there's, there's something here missing. 
and I'm not quite exactly sure what it is, let me tell you what it is. That's Jesus that's, that wants that spot. When you have that feeling of, you know what, if, what if I died on the way home tonight? Where would I go? See, I know you've asked yourself that question before, and what do we do? What do we do when Jesus isn't close to us? We just kind of push that back to our heads. We just push it to the back. I'll deal with it later. But until Jesus is a part of your life, that question will come back, and it will come back, and it will come back, and you can push it, and you can push it, and you can push it, but you can't get rid of the question until you answer the question. Amen? what happens when you don't know where Jesus is. We live in a life full of fear, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. And if you're this person, and the chances are that you're going to go home and, and worry and think about it and, and maybe push it back again, I'm going to tell you that what you're missing, what is supposed to be there, it's actually love that belongs in that spot, that belongs in that void. And that's a love of Jesus that goes right there. And it's not that Jesus doesn't give you that love. It's that you haven't accepted that love yet. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. We were made to be loved. We were made to be sons and daughters and moms and dads in this adoptive kingdom of God, because God is love. You cannot go anywhere in the kingdom of God and get away from love. It's as if we're in the arms of Jesus here on earth. It's at that point when we get to experience his love on earth. It's when our life seems to be in its depths that you now, after you've come to Christ and you realize that life isn't going that well, that you, you remember that Jesus still loves you. It's when we can't get our act together that Jesus still loves us. It's when we decide to live our, by our own path and we decide to walk away from what Christ has taught us and told us that he still wants to be with us. He still wants to love us. Just because we can walk away from him, he's not walking away from us. He is always there calling, I am here, come back. It doesn't mean that he approves of our sin at all. But he loves us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. But he didn't die because he didn't die because he was the perfect swap for our sin. He died because he loves us. See, the problem with living in fear is that fear is such a strong emotion that fear actually can start to dictate your decisions. You remember the last time that you were at the uh, family Christmas event and you said, I really need to be nice to my sister-in-law or else she's going to cause a big scene. I don't know why I see so many women nodding their heads like this. Yeah. Guys are like, yeah. But see, what that is, you know what that is? That is fear dictating our decisions, right? We're making a change in our behavior because of fear or something that we don't want to deal with. Fear can dictate our decisions. When, when we're letting fear dictate our decisions, we have no true direction. 
We don't have a direction that's based on Christ. We have a direction that's based on getting away from something we're afraid of. If we're following Christ, there's nothing to be afraid of. Amen? But I want you to see what happens next in our story. We're in Matthew 28. We're in verse number 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just like he said. Pay close attention right here. The angel continues and says, Come and see. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Point number two in your notes. Knowing where Jesus is gives our life assurance and direction. Knowing where Jesus is gives our life assurance and direction. Five minutes ago, Mary and Mary were standing in fear. They didn't have a path. They didn't have a plan. They came to the tomb and his body was gone. They didn't know what to do next. But look what just happened. The angel told both of the women where Jesus was. And because of that knowledge, now they have a path and they have a direction. The angel says this. The first thing the angel said, come here. Come here and look where he lay. Isn't that a direction? Isn't that a, a saying, hey, come, come here and do this. Look. Look where he was. It's a small instruction, but it gives them a path. And then the angel says, go quickly and talk to his disciples. Again, another path of what to do, another instruction. When we're living life with Christ, that life comes with instruction and a path. And as Christians, we can be very thankful that God doesn't just provide salvation. God provides a path for our lives. Now they know that Jesus is alive. They know where Jesus is and they know what to do. I don't know if anyone here is like me. I'm going to guess that now it's time for the guys to raise their hands. Some of you might have a tendency like me to lose things. I will often lose my sunglasses. I will leave my keys somewhere. It's not, common, not uncommon for me to lose the remote. You know what the worst thing? Oh, this, this is the one thing that will just ruin my day when you lose your what? Cell phone? Yeah? Okay. Okay, so I'm actually going to ask for a show of hands right now. Raise your hand if you've ever left the house, got halfway to work, realized that you didn't have your cell phone, and now knowing that you're probably going to be late, you're still going to turn around, jeopardize being late, and go home and get it. Anyone? Okay. Okay, so I've, out of like 42 people, I've got two honest people. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. Like... I have turned around and gone back to get it. If, if your hand's up like mine, you understand what it is to be without something that, something that you feel that you need, but you don't have it. And then you also know that feeling, though, what it's like once you get it back, right? You go home, you get your phone, you're 20 minutes late to work, doesn't matter, everything's where it should be. And now on your lunch break, you can sit here, not talk to people, and check your Twitter account. Everything's cool, right? Right? I mean, that, 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 that's, what, that's what we do. But it's that anxiety that's gone now once you find what you were looking for. All this fear. 
you had when you got three blocks from home, four blocks from home, a half a mile. You got in the parking lot at work. <sighs> and you made that decision. And you're like, oh, I got to call my boss. Yeah, I'm going to be late. That means I've got to work late just so I can go back and get my phone. But all that fear is gone. <laughs> See, it's the same situation that we're in when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. When you know where he is, your life now has direction. You can move forward now that you know where Jesus is. Because moving forward without Christ doesn't really lead you forward at all. When we come to Jesus, now we have instructions, we have direction, we have a place that he is sending us. We have a path. We don't have that fear. There's some people who are going to be on their deathbed and they're going to lay there with fear, not knowing what their next move is. Christians who follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may have a fear of an unknown, but they don't have a fear of where they're going. Amen? There is no fear. You, you know what's coming. Christ has told you what is coming. He said, this is the path. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. I've got your hand. I'm right here. Come back with me in the Matthew. We're in verse number 8. 28, verse number 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they collapsed at his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Point number three in your notes this morning. Knowing that Jesus is standing right in front of us gives us reason to fall at his feet and worship him. Knowing that Jesus is standing right in front of us, it gives us reason to do nothing but fall at his feet and worship our Lord and Savior. That's exactly what the women did. Not only did they learn that Jesus was alive, but now they found him, and in the flesh they found him. And the Bible says that they are afraid, but filled with joy. Isn't that an interesting combination of emotions? To be afraid, but full of joy. Where we left Jim and Doris at the beginning of our message, we had a family in a state, in kind of the state of shock. And the rem remaining members of the family are around the kitchen table, and they don't know what to do. But I want you to imagine how life changes with just one phone call. When the phone rings and Jim walks over to the wall and he picks up the house phone and he sees police department on the, on the caller ID, there's this massive amount of fear that is drawing up in the soul of this man as he pushes that button to say hello. See, this phone call is either going to bring good news or it's going to bring bad news. There's going to be a huge emotional rush that's going to come out of this phone call. And as Jim puts the phone up to his, his ear and his, his wife Doris, just she's over at the kitchen table looking at him and she wishes she could be on that, that phone call as well, but she doesn't know if she could take what she would possibly hear. But, so she stays at the kitchen table and she listens as Jim says, Hello? 
and there's some silence in the kitchen. And Jim takes his hand and he lifts his other hand up to his face and he covers his mouth and she sees this. She sees her husband, this man who would swing the kids around in the yard and built like an ox. And she sees tears just start rolling down his face. And now she's wondering what's going on in this conversation. And it's as if Jim is trying to talk, but he can't. And as much as he wants to to get words out to the person on the other side of the line, he can just, he can physically say nothing. Life is numb. But he does his best to simply utter the words, and he says, okay, we'll be there. And he brings the phone down from his ear, and he looks at the dial pad, and he pushes the end call button. And there are two parents in this room who are in deep fear. Two parents with absolutely no direction. Two parents who have lost something irreplaceable. And Jim puts down the phone and he turns to his wife. And through tears and these creakiest voices, he simply says, he says, they found her and she's alive. Can you see the joy and the fear in the lives of these parents right now? There's two different buckets of emotion. One is this cauldron of fear that's been welling up. And another is a canister of pure joy which has been empty in their lives for the last few weeks. Before the phone call, this pail of panic existed and it's what kept these parents up at night. Joy was only a wish, it was only a dream, but now that they found their daughter, joy is a reality. And that's the same thing that happens when we find Jesus. Joy is a reality. We too have canisters of emotion in our heart and that tub of terror, once you find Jesus, can be overflowed with this canister of joy. And no, life will never be the same because they're always going to keep a sharp eye on Jessica. They're never going to let her out of their sights. It's the same thing that Jesus does with us. He's never going to let you out of his sights. Before we come to Christ, we have this bucket full of fear and next to it is this empty vessel. It's just waiting for us to let his love in. And when we do, that spiritual canister in our lives that have been filling up with fear become overflowed with this joy. And we will find ourselves keeping a sharper eye on Jesus too because that's what it takes for us to live close to him because you have this feeling that I never want to lose this. I never want to lose Christ because he never wants to lose us again either. Finally, I want you to take a look at the end here. There's so much comfort in this last verse. It's the very last verse. This is chapter, well, we're in verse number 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this and he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus has made us a promise. 
That when we seek Him, when we find Him, when we find our direction, He will show us a path, He will bring us into a relationship, and He will bring us home to real joy. And He's never going to leave us. He's never going to leave you alone. Once you find Him, you're not going to lose Him. Once you find that path, I'm not going to lie. You can step off the path, but the path is always going to be there. Jesus will always be there on the path saying, come back, come back, come walk like this right here. You don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to continue living without any bearing. You don't have to live another day in fear. A life with Jesus, a life with Jesus creates joy, direction. But a life without Jesus, it's created all of these living abuses that we go through in our world. All of the destruction that we see, it's life without Jesus. All of the headaches, all of the loneliness, all of the trembling of hearts that are empty, they all originate with a life without Jesus. If that's what your life is like this morning, it doesn't have to be that way any longer. Do you know where Jesus is? If you're not sure exactly where Jesus is, I want to pray with you in a few moments. The resurrection story, it's the basis of our faith, and without it, Christianity does not exist. And without Jesus, joy doesn't exist, and worship doesn't exist, and happiness doesn't exist. Without Jesus, we would live in a very, very, very dark world, one much darker than the one that we currently live in. But it could all change right now. It can all change right here on the yard of the city hall in downtown Paris on Easter Sunday it can change with you opening up a heart and letting Jesus in right now and he promises that he will always be with you even to the end of the age he will not leave how many people in your life can you absolutely say through everything that you can throw at him will not leave Jesus won't. He won't leave. Some of you can look back at your Christian walk right now and you can say, I know he won't because he hasn't. Because I've put him through a lot and he hasn't left and I know he's there. Not only could he come into your life right now and this morning, but when he comes and makes residence in your heart, he brings a path and he brings directions, and he brings instructions. He doesn't just show up like a house guest with some clothes, hey, I'm gonna kick it here on your couch. He comes as a heart guest who says, if you're going to give me the reins, I'm going to steer this ship, follow me. We know where life, walking our own path has got us, right? Do we know where life following Christ's path will get us? If you're living in fear right now and you have no clue what this worship and this joy and this direction is all about, 
You can literally go from one extreme to the other this morning. You can go from coming to Easter service from many days behind you in fear to looking ahead with a future with Jesus, with a plan, with intention, and life with reason. All those fears you walked in here with. I hope if you're here this morning and you walked in with any fears that you will leave them here on this grass. Leave them here and walk away with Jesus. Let's pray.